of this is part four of wait for his son Yeshua before the wrath. The last time I, I, I preached on this ongoing message was uh, February the 4th. Today is March the 11th as we continue. So if you would turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we'll be reading verse number 10 today again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. And to wait for his son Yeshua whom he raised from the dead to appear from heaven and rescue us from the impending fury, God's wrath, his judgment. And so with this, we're going to go in a little deeper today. And that is we're going to be looking at an individual that God has truly blessed. I'm introducing you to him today. His name is John F. Walrud. That last name is spelled W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D. He was a chancellor of Dallas Theological Seminary. He served as its second president from 1952 to, to 1986 and was on the Dallas faculty uh, for 50 years. Dr. Walrud holds two master's degrees as a Master of Arts and a Theological Minister's Degrees and a Doctor of Theology Degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. He was awarded the Honorary Doctoral of Divinity, the DD, by Wheaton College and the Honorary Doctor of Letters Degree from Liberty Baptist Seminary. He was an editor of Biobolithiaca Sarka which is a Dallas Seminary's theological journey journal from uh, the years 1952 to 19, 1985. He also edited, edited Schaefer's Systematic Theology, which I shared a little bit on the last message. And also, uh, he co-edited the best-selling Bible Knowledge Commentary. And so this is what Dr. Uh, Volrude has has written pertaining to First Thessalonians chapter one and verse ten. He says this in his uh, the book that he wrote, Thessalonians Epistles, number seventeen. He says this: It is a significant that Paul. He does not use the name Rav Shaul, but he uses a common name of Paul that most people in the church would know him by. It is significant that Paul is such a brief is is a such brief period of ministry that's at the Thessalonian congregation. Not only did he lead them out of darkness into the light of the good news, but also faithfully preached to them the truth of the coming Lord. And so, basically, to get a little bit deeper on this, Rav Shaul, this is my my sharing now, was an evangelist unparalleled a missionary unparalleled, and also a theologian unparalleled, because it is not the catching of the fish. Remember Yeshua told his Talmudim that he would make them fishers of men? That's both men and women. So continuing, because it's not the catching of fish that is hard, but the cleaning of fish that is the hard part. If you have the gift of evangelism, you can bring people to Yeshua very easily, but that is like bringing a baby the day of its birth from the hospital and setting him in the middle of the living room and saying to him, well, when you get hungry, you can simply get up, go to the kitchen and make yourself a sandwich. It's kind of ridiculous, right? You bring the person into the kingdom and you just say, well, go and serve the Lord. There has to be times of making of disciples. And what has God called everyone in the body of Messiah to do? Go forth and to share the good news. And then after they receive the good news, they're to go underneath the waters of immersion. And what is the next step? We're to disciple them. 
to train them. They are to be disciplined learners. That's what the word disciple means. And what are we to teach them and model before them? But the word of God. And so going forward here. So this is some ways how congregations sadly treat new believers and Messiah Yeshua. These young believers, they go to congregations where they hear the same message over and over again about salvation and how to be saved. And there are congregations that even mess this up also. So they hear the same message over and over, and yet no one is in the pulpit there to properly, who's been properly trained and prepared to teach. That is why, that is to take the fish and clean them by teaching them with the full counsel of God's word, where they can grow and develop and mature as believers. Because once you build up people in their faith in the Lord, then you're to send them out so that they can go forth and proclaim the good news, therefore taking their responsibility to be disciple makers. So continuing here. And part of that is being trained. Whether you're a trained Bible teacher or a Messianic rabbi or a pastor is learning how to make basics, eschatological distinctions. And this is what Rav Shaul was doing with the Thessalonian believers, these new believers, these new Messianic believers. Now back to Dr. Bolrud. So by contrast today, some folks who go to church year after year, never hear the precious truth, truth that Christ Yeshua, the Messiah, who came to Bethlehem so long ago is also coming back again. And that he will be, that we can be looking forward to his wonderful return of the Lord for his own. This is the blessed hope. While we see in this world things changing, our governments are failing, Societies failing as a whole. What are we waiting for? But for the blessed hope of the Lord's appearing. So in verse uh, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 10, Dr. Woolward goes on to say, he reminds, that's Rav Shaul, the believers in Thessalonica, that not only have they turned to God from idols to serve the living God, and the and the true and present work that is going on in their daily lives, but they also have a hope and a future. Is that not a good word for us today? That there's a hope and a future? And to wait for his son, Yeshua Jesus, from heaven. The word wait here is in present tense. They had turned to God in one act. But there remained a constant day-to-day -day expectation. In other words, they were constantly looking for the return of the Lord and the coming of the Lord for his bride, his saints. This is where the grammar matters. I just want to make grammatical points when they are pertinent to a passage. And here is one such passage occasion to wait. The verb is in present tense. What it says is that we are to be what? Waiting. This Messianic community, under the pressures of Rome, under persecution, was constantly waiting for Yeshua to come back. It is an ongoing activity, and that is the mindset that they had daily. In that truth, was the organizing of how they would live their lives and how a person should live. Because, an example, if your boss came into the office one day and said, by the way, I'm going away for six months, all right? You understand that for six months he's going to be away. It's different than knowing that the boss can stick his head into your office at any day of the week, at any time, it changes definitely our work habits, doesn't it? It changes your priorities, and it should, shouldn't it? As our values change, 
what we're doing also changed because of the return of Yeshua, the harpazo, the rapture, is at any moment. And so we are to be present with the Lord in that expectation. And once the Lord takes us, he will bring us up to that bema seat, judgment. And what is that bema seat judgment for? We are rewarded or we're not rewarded based on our faithfulness to our life, living out our lives before the Lord and by his grace and honor. So if that judgment, the bema seat judgment can happen at any second, this is what controls what I'm doing right now. Because we do not want to be embarrassed when Yeshua shows up and catches us doing something that we'd be truly be embarrassed about. And so this, the Ruach HaKodesh may be encouraging us to share Yeshua with someone else. Wouldn't that be a blessing when the Lord returns? And so maybe I should be a little bit bolder because Yeshua can come back or I would lose that opportunity of sharing my faith. This is what the doctrine, the teaching of eminency means at any moment and what it does and impacts our lives that causes us to reevaluate all the choices that we make daily. Should I watch that show? Should I go to such and such place? That's just a simple example. And that is why wherever the doctrine of emissy has gone, the results have been the same. There's a greater fervency to live for Yeshua because we don't know when he's going to come back. There's a greater desire to share Yeshua with those. There's also greater desire to live a holy life in the Messianic believer's life. The imminent return of Yeshua is what stimulates us more and more. And that is why Hasatan is trying to destroy this doctrine of eminency in the Messianic community. Yeshua's bride and the slander and malign people who actually teach and adhere to it. Hasatan knows if the bride of Yeshua stops believing, then the bride will be much different and our habits will be different. We'll not be putting the Lord first in every decision of our lives. We will no longer be uh, inquiring of the Lord. And so continuing, Walruth says to wait for his son Yeshua from heaven. The word wait is in the present sense. They had returned to God in one act and remained the constant day-by-day expectation. In other words, they were constantly looking for the return of the Lord, the coming of the Lord for his saints, his bride, that is us. Are you ready? Are you waiting? Are you desiring for the Lord to come back? Or is there some more pressing things that you need to accomplish on this earth on your own account? So continuing, the American culture is changing, and the Lord is allowing this, so persecution is on the way. If the Lord allows persecution to come upon his bride, then we will take his rescue operation more seriously. And we will share the good news with others while we still can. You know, there are parts of Europe right now where they're actually saying that people can only think a certain way. And there are believers who have actually been arrested for proclaiming the good news and saying God created male and female and Europe is on the fast path there where they believe in gender equality, where you can switch your gender at any time. And this is becoming a reality. And think about this, how Europe, England, and other nations for a period of time in their history that they proclaim the good news around the world. And if you go into their cathedrals and their large congregations today, most of them are museums. And the museum director, the tour guide, 
will ask the people that he's bringing in, them in to see these major cathedrals and, and large churches throughout all of Europe today. He says, please be quiet when we come in here. Speak as if we're in a library because there's actually a small remnant there and they're having a service. But for them to be able to continue to pay for their electrical and their heating bills, uh, they allow us to show the great artifacts that are here, these great works of art. And that is currently where Europe is. America is on that same path. Because right now there is a dirge less of God's word being proclaimed in America. Many are following after these false apostles, these false prophets, and that's what's taking place in America. So let us get back to the message here. And so what the Lord is doing is that he spoke through his Ruach HaKodesh, and he produced in them, because remember, Rav Shaul was chased out. And so the work of the Spirit of the living God, the work of the Spirit of the living God that is being barred in the nation of Iran today, the good news is going forth. There's been uh, people giving testimony of this man in white that appears where the good news is not being shared. And so he's now giving these Iranian people dreams and vision of himself. He reveals to them that he died upon the tree, the, the cross, and he rose from the dead. And there are many Iranian people who are coming to give their lives to Yeshua. And this is a work of the Ruach HaKodesh. And they're having transformed lives. And so wherever Hasatan tries to bar the building of God's kingdom, it, it's not stopped by the Lord. He's continued to do these these great things throughout the earth. And so let us continue. And so the good news, we're to go and share with others while we can. And so now we, we are looking for the return of Yeshua in the near future. And there are those who claim that this doctrine of the harpazo, the rapture, is a secondary doctrine. These are non-essentials. And who was the very one of the very first people to come out and say this? Augustine. And for some of you, maybe you've never studied the life of Augustine and found about all the different teachings that he have that are extra biblical, not even part of God's word, where he allegorized all these things. Continuing, Augustine would say something like that. Because he did not even believe in the in the millennial kingdom. Think about that for a moment. Here's a person that is revered by many as one of the early church fathers, but he was not one of the original apostles. He does not believe in the millennium. He does not believe that Yeshua will be coming down one day and landing on the Mount of Olives and setting up his earthly kingdom. Fulfilling God's promise to the Jewish people that one of David's descendants would be sitting on his throne and reigning and ruling for a thousand years from Jerusalem. And so going forward here, Augustine would say something like that. He didn't believe in the millennial kingdom. And Christians in his day that believed in the millennial kingdom, they were called the Kililasts. That is spelled K-I-L-E-A-L-A-S-T-S. And this is how, how he addressed them. He said, oh, you just believe in the non-essential, the millennial reign of Christ. Boy, what a great way to dismiss certain doctrines you determine and consider as non-essential. And what a wonderful way to simply brush it aside. So, let us now do an exercise. I'd like for everyone to turn in your Bible to the section that says non-essential section. So can we do that? 
the idea is that there is one. And so what God has said is important is important. And so man has said, well, this doctrine is essential and this one is secondary. Obviously, this is a myth because the Bible never divides itself that way. I understand that the primary doctrine for us is the good news, and I get that. But God does not think that way. He doesn't say, well, this is essential and this is not essential. Because the whole Bible is the inspired word of God. You know, there are many uh, seminaries now, and there are many pastors, and there are many theologians that are saying, well, I don't believe that God's word is inspired. And that's the reality. And so if you're wondering why these men and women are coming and, and leading these different congregations, and they're coming and they're leading these uh, teaching at these Bible colleges as professors, if they do not believe that God's word is the inspired word of God, they believe in allegories and that this scripture may be of God, but this scripture is not. And they are having a great influence upon these young minds. So think about the generation that's now being raised right now, where they ask pastors, they do these different Abarna surveys. And the percent of pastors today that actually believe that God's word is inspired, it's now between 20 to 30 percent. Think about that just for one moment. Won't that have an impact? And that's why we see all many of these congregations and many of these denominations that are now accepting same-sex marriage. Why is that? Because they believe that God's word is not truly inspired. That what God says, that's not really what he means. And let me here now tell you what he means. And that's the reality that we're dealing with today. And the Yeshua said, when he comes back, will he find people of faith? Will he find people who trust in the inspired word of God? Because just as Yeshua fulfilled the prophecies of his first coming, he will fulfill the prophecy of his harpazo, his rapture coming for his bride. And he will also fulfill all the other prophecies. And he will fulfill his millennial reign. And it's amazing right now. There's a great group out there. They're called NAR, but they don't accept that name the New Apostolic Reformation, and they believe this, that Yeshua, when he returns, he's going to come to a world where all the believers have taken over government, entertainment, education, finance, the economy, everything. That's what they're teaching. That there's not going to be a great following away. That's reality what they're teaching. And majority of them do not believe that there's a millennial reign of Messiah here on earth, that they are going to perfect everything. They're going to bring this about. And so if you watch the news and you read the newspaper, are they being successful in their endeavors? No, they're being led astray by great deception. So let us continue here. And so, obviously, non-essential and essential is but a myth. And so, obviously, the good news is here, is essential. But every time God opens his mouth and he talks, that is essential also. Because the whole Bible is the inspired word of God. This essential, non-essential has been quoted by some of the greats. Norman Geisler. He taught this, and also the Christian Research Institute also taught this. And here for some of you, this may be a shocker. Walter Martin also taught that this one doctrine is essential, and this other doctrine is non-essential. They all taught it. 
And so what is this? This non-essential, essential teaching. What it is, is an ecumenical ploy. If you would listen to what the Pope is saying, Pope Francis from Rome, he's saying no matter what religious belief that you have, you are now all saved. Because when Jesus died upon the cross and rose from the dead, you don't have to accept him. You can simply be a good person because Jesus has saved you. You know, it's on record, it's on recorded, that he wants to baptize an alien. That doesn't mean someone from another country who's emigrated into a country, but literally an alien, someone from outer space. And what he's been doing for the last years, he's been bringing together major religions. And there's only two true representations of God the Father here on earth. And what are they? Judaism and Christianity. And so all Hinduism, Buddhism, all these cults, including Mormonism, Rabbi, don't say that. They teach another Jesus. They teach that Yeshua Jesus is a son of God, but not the son of God. Is that a non-essential? Absolutely not. Recognizing that Yeshua is the Son of God. Recognize that Yeshua is God. That's how we became born again. And so should we set this aside so that we can bring unity between all these religions? We live in the day where we see the formation of a one world religion. And who's ushering this all into being? Who's leading this? Hasatan, but who is his number one puppet? The Roman Catholic Pope, Francis. And so he's bringing this all together. We live in the last days. And so let us continue here. Praise be unto God. And so what is this? Non-essential, essential, it's an ecumenical ploy. It is designed to use to get all Messianic believers, that's all Christians, on the same page. And you simply just lower the, the importance of certain doctrines that run the risk of doing what? Dividing the Messianic community, the church, the congregations. You know, there's been a, recently a bishop that's come out and said this, the, the, the protest is now over. All you Protestants need to do this. Come back to the universal Catholic Church. Come back. That is what is being said today. And you'd be shocked on how many Protestant leaders from around the world who are embracing and and receiving the Roman Catholic Church's teachings about blending all these religions together. This is a reality that we live in today. And so let us continue here. And so, and you just so simply have to make the statement again. So now you just lower the importance of certain doctrines that run the risk of dividing the Messian community the congregation, the church. And so John Walroot says this, and he was asked this question while he was alive. Presently, he's in the presence of the Lord. He was asked this question by an individual. Well, you know that you talk about prophecy so much, and you don't understand that it is controversial? This one reporter asked him, he went on to say, I don't, I mean, don't you understand that it, 
The teaching, the doctrine of eminence is dividing believers. And his reaction was classic. And this is what Dr. Walrud said. Don't you know that the whole Bible is controversial? Every single verse, every single word, every single letter on the page is controversial. So if you're worried about dividing Christians, then there is a huge sections of the Bible that you need to dismiss. So what I want for you to see is that this doctrine of the rapture is essential because it is in the Bible. And who was the very first one to introduce, introduce this? <clears throat> Yeshua referred to it in the Gospel of John. And so continuing here. But to look at what it says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Who introduced this? A chosen apostle. His name is Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul. And so let us look at that verse again. And we're commanded to do what? To wait for his son Yeshua, whom he raised from the dead. And we're going to divide this verse as we go forward. To appear from heaven and to rescue us from the impending fury that is the wrath of God's judgment. And so now as we dissect this verse, it says this. To wait for his son, Yeshua, from heaven, whom he, who's the he? God the Father, raised from the dead. So what doctrine is that? That is the resurrection. That is Yeshua, the first fruits, is it not? And so later the verse says, to appear from heaven and rescue us from what? The wrath of the impending fury of God's judgment that he's going to pour out upon this earth. Notice that Rav Shaul is the one that links the rapture to the resurrection. Does he have that authority? Absolutely. Is he not one of the apostles? Absolutely. Did he not have the Ruach HaKodesh leading him, inspiring him, and leading him in all truth? Was this a mistake by Rav Shaul? I believe absolutely not. And so going forward here, notice that it is Rav Shaul that links the rapture to the resurrection. Messiah Yeshua's resurrection is first fruits in God's resurrection program. He was the first one raised from the dead, the scripture says. His resurrection guarantees that all other resurrections in the chain, including when the bride, both sleeping alive, receives its resurrected bodies. That's for First Thessalonians chapter 15, verses 50 through 54. Those glorified bodies at the point of the rapture of his bride. That means you and I. And so the rapture is in connection to the resurrection of Yeshua. How will we know what our, our glorified bodies will be like? Just like Yeshua's glorified body when he rose. He was able to eat. He was able to speak with his disciples. He was able to travel with them. He was able to, to, to minister to them and to prepare their hearts and minds of what the scripture through the Ruach would be revealing to them in the near future. And they were to put their trust in it. Otherwise, we would not have the book of Acts going forward. And so, and everyone agrees that the resurrection is an essential doctrine, is it not? Absolutely. And it is linked to the rapture in Rav Shaul's own writings. So if you want evidence and proof in the text, we see how one is linked to the other. Continue here. Then who are we to say and look at this well? It is the one essential to say, well, one is essential and one is non-essential. You can't do that in the middle of a verse and say, well, part of the verse is essential, but the other part is not essential. It is all essential. It's like a domino, in, in essence, 
that you set up dominoes, and a lot of us have as children. And if you tamper with one of them, you had your little brother or sister reach up there, and they grab one of those dominoes, what happens? They all fall over. That is what is essential. So the non-essential mindset has done to the Messianic believers because theology is a seamless tapestry. And whatever you are doing in one area of theology is going to impact another without people even thinking about it. Because that is how God has set up his word. Think of all the various authors in the Tanakh through the Brit Hadashah. And they have been writing in unison. Why? Because they were inspired by the Ruach HaKodesh. By the man, by the mind of God Most High. And that's why it all fitly joins together. And whatever doesn't fitly join together, what comes before eyes? Red flags. Wait a second, that's out of context. That's not what the, the author received from the Lord that gave and proclaimed to the people through prophecy. And that's why we're to test prophecy. We're to test what we hear. Does it line up with the word of God? We're to be like the men of the Brian synagogue who searched the scriptures daily. Receive what Rav Shaul would say in the Apostle Paul, but they searched to see whether it lined up with what the word of God says. And were they, were they examining the scripture from Matthew through Revelation? No. They were, they were examining Genesis through Malachi to see if the word of God was yes and amen. And so let us continue here. So because theology is a seamless tapestry, whatever you're doing in one area of theology is going to impact another without people even thinking about it. Because this is how God has set up his word. And so Rav Shaul here specifically says that the rapture itself, that is to wait for Yeshua, his son from heaven, is linked to the resurrection of Yeshua. And how is that? Because if Messiah has not raised from the dead, we have no hope. And what is our hope today? That he's coming back for his bride, both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. So continuing here. So the, the rapture is linked to the resurrection of Yeshua. When he raised Yeshua from the dead, that is Yeshua. And everyone who believes in the resurrection of Yeshua believes that that's essential. In fact, Rav Shul in 1 Corinthians 15, 4 says this, and that if Messiah Yeshua has not been raised, then our proclaiming and preaching is what? In vain. And your trust and faith is in vain. End of that scripture verse. If you don't have the resurrection of Yeshua, then you don't have the Messianic believers. We cannot be born again. And that doctrine is linked to the rapture, which is the doctrine that Rav Shaul taught to these brand new Messianic believers. So Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, believed that the doctrine was essential and taught it to these new Messianic believers, or he wouldn't have wasted his time with that. So Essential, non-essential is a man-made man scheme. It is man-made paradigm. We've heard a lot about paradigms recently, have we not? That have led many people astray. By people that are pursuing what? An ecumenical. Well, we all believe in the one true God. Has not the Pope said that God the Father is the same as Allah? That's blasphemy. Let us continue. Praise be to God. And so the essential non-essential is a man-made scheme. It is a man-made paradigm by people that are pursuing an economic, ecumenical agenda where Christian unity 
that is Messianic believers, so-called, is more important than truth. Well, brother, we need all to come together. You should see Mormons as true believers. Oh, don't worry about that, that they believe that one day they will be given a planet and they will have a, a bunch of virgin wives to repopulate that earth. Doesn't that sound what the Muslims teach? So who inspired Mormonism? Who inspired the Muslim faith? Hasatan the devil. Who inspired Buddhism? Hinduism. You fill in the blank. Hasatan to lead God's people and those who were to become God's people astray. Continuing here. And so Christian unity, the ecumenical people say, is more important than biblical truth. Did you hear that? Well, let's put back and let's put everything in the closet. Did not God say that he created man and woman? In his image and likeness. And now what are we being told. By the world system. And by. Major religions. That a man. Who is born biologically. As a male. One day a thought can come into his mind. That suddenly now. He's a female and vice versa. But Rabbi Frank. You're being a Pharisee here. You take the Bible literally. You're part of the small group now. We're going to now outvote you. That's what's happening in congregations now. There were mighty congregations and denominations that believed in the inspired word of God. And what has happened? They're becoming more like the world. They're accepting the world's teachings. And this is reality that you and I live today. So let us continue here. So, so now with this, with not stating that biblical truth is no longer evident and needed to keep unity. And so over in 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 19, please turn there. This is what Rav Shaul gives his opinion, his biblical opinion, about keeping unity at all costs in the Messianic community, in the local congregation. And so this is what he says. Rav Shaul talks about divisions happening in the body of Messiah. He's talking about factions. And so let us read that verse out right now. First Thessalonians, excuse me, First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 19. And here it is. Granted, there must be some divisions among you. Wait a second. He's not talking about unity here. Aren't, aren't we all supposed to be unified on everything? Granted, there must be some divisions among you in order to show who are the ones in the right. Those who hold to biblical truth, handed down through the prophets in the Tanakh and the apostles in the Brit Hadashah. But, brother, you're bringing the division here. Are we not to pursue the scripture? Are we not supposed to judge every word that is spoken? And if it does not align with the scripture, are we not supposed to throw it out? Absolutely. So continuing here, Rashaul talks about divisions happening in the body of Messiah. He's talking about factions. The ecumenists of today say that the worst thing that can happen is division. And so we read here, that Rav Shaul said, granted that there must 
be some divisions and factions among you in order to show who are the ones in the right. Continuing, Rav Shaul says that divisions is a good thing so that those who are proved can be evident. So a division is not an absolute worst thing that can happen in a congregation or outside it. In the book of Acts, there were recorded divisions between whom? Rav Shaul and Barnabas. That was so severe that it, relate, that it related to John Mark, who's also called John Yohanan, Mark, where John Mark was, and he went on a missionary journey, the second missionary journey, or not. Because Barnabas said, hey, we should bring John Mark with us. Rav Shaul said, nope. Remember what he did the last time? His stomach got a little upset, and, and he just he went back home. He forsook us because Rav Shul wanted to press on. And so here's a division between two brothers who love the Lord and they want to proclaim the good news to the nations, to the Jew first and the nations. <clears throat> and this is reality. Isn't it amazing that the Ruach HaKodesh actually had the author of the book of Acts record this? So we would know that it's okay to have division in the body because the truth of God's word is then ironed out as iron sharpens iron, does not the scripture say. And so continuing here, the Greek text here uses the word of tremendous severity when described the disagreement between Rav Shul and Barnabas. And so it was severe that it caused a split. And now that was the worst thing in the world that can happen? No, because Luke records that because now we have what? We don't just have one missionary team, we have two. And use the split, the Holy Spirit use the split to cause it so that this idea that the pursuit of unity, no matter what, the truth takes a back seat and is not biblical. So, but there is a pastor that has said this. If you post what you believe, eschatology, on your website, you are walking in sin. Why? Because there may be some other congregations that do not believe in your eschatology. If you post that we are dispensational, Premillennial, post, uh, excuse me, pre-tribulational, and we get this conclusion from a literal, grammatical, historical method of interpretation of the scriptures, then we are walking in sin because you caused a rupture, a division in the body of Messiah. I remember when the ELC Lutheran churches would not ordain a homosexual male and a lesbian female to be their pastors. Now they readily accept that. They now confer that it is God's will for a homosexual man to marry a, another homosexual man and for the one homosexual man to continue to serve as their pastor. That's the reality that we live in. But Rabbi Frank, you're supposed to show love and compassion to people. Yes, to warn them if they continue to live a homosexual, lesbian lifestyle, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can I make that any more clear for anyone? I believe that soon in our country, if you preach against a homosexual and lesbian lifestyle, you will be fined, you'll be imprisoned, and one day they may even take your life. That's the reality that we live in today. And we're not to walk in fear, but to proclaim the good news. For God has called us for such a time as this. And so continuing here. 
So that pastor went on to say, so tone it down. And so others at, at Christian leaders conferences during the question answer time from his congregation under his influence that they were prompt that they were prompting prophecy, they were to tone it down. Don't talk about eschatology. That divides the body of, of Messiah. So continue me here. Because the highest value at the end of the day is what? Biblical truth, God's word, and God's word alone. Are you being transformed in the image and likeness of the things of this world? The world system? Or are you being transformed by the word of God? Are you willing to stamp, step up and speak the word of God? Even though it may cost your, your finances? It may cause fines, imprisonment, even your own life. We live in such a time as this. And so we're going to end right now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Be encouraged that you walk in biblical truth and that Yeshua the Messiah reigns and sits upon the throne of your heart. You're being filled and renewed by the spirit of the living God. And we're to not walk by fear and to call a spade a spade. Call things truthfully as they are so that we'll honor God with our speech, our thoughts, and our conduct. For we are his. We're to be a bride without spot or wrinkle. As Yeshua declared, in that day when he comes back for his bride, Will there be anyone who are putting their trust in the word? Will he find a holy remnant that are longing for his opinion, his appearing? That is our blessed hope. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 